in what ways has the toy collecting community been affected by the pandemic and people just having more focus on collecting toys from their childhood? It exploded. If it was measurable, it was like the the A-bomb for collecting. You know, it was sort of a, a, a perfect storm of timing because shortly before the pandemic, the Toys That Made Us was released. But the, the G.I. Joe episode, I don't know what that did, but I, I feel like people watched it that weren't collectors but had G.I. Joes when they were kids and it like set a fire under their ass to go buy and like hunt down vintage G.I. Joes. Because from that point forward, it like you could not you could not touch G.I. Joes for like any sort of reasonable price anymore. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, and leave a comment about the episode. And if you're watching on Spotify or listening on a traditional podcast platform, please follow, rate us five stars, and leave a review if you would be so kind. Thank you. Welcome to the Way to Know You podcast, season two, episode 31. My name is Nick Rounds, and I will be your host. My next guest has been a professional toy seller for almost 30 years. From swap meets to garage sales to endlessly searching eBay for random grails to showing up to a shady house to buy an entire lot of toys. My guest's full-time job has been spent hunting down great deals on rare toys. When he's not busy co-hosting Toy Geeks, a live toy talk show, Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern with my former guest, Jake Ladfelter, he's analyzing random toy accessories and seeing if he remembers where the hell they come from. John from Toy Geeks waits. I know you. How are you today, sir? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you so much, Nick, for having me on. <laughs> I figured if I had... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I have been to some really shady houses on, on toys. <laughs> I have been in some uh, sketchy situations at at best. It is, you know, sometimes you never don't you don't know what you're walking into ever. <laughs> are, are we talking like harder harder levels houses, perhaps, or maybe even just like murder houses? Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah, murder. Um, a little <laughs> bit of. I was in a really bad. Uh, deliverance situation and i shit you not i swear i was in deliverance um it was do, do we want to start there do we want to just kick into the juicy bits <laughs> oh sure sure i it's it's probably um it's probably the most uncomfortable i've ever been going to a house um because i mean these are these are the days where you know, uh, for for forever, I had I had ads up on Craigslist. So like anytime you, anybody on Craigslist, it's like chances are it's 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 going to be a shady situation. I mean, Craigslist breeds, you know, shady people. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, um, it was it wasn't that long after I moved to North Carolina, so it was kind of like getting used to being in the South. From I mean, I grew up, you know less than an hour outside of Boston. So that's like kind of the, everything was like city. Right. So get to North Carolina and, you know, set up shop, putting ads out everywhere so I can start finding toys. And so I got an, an email through a Craigslist ad one day 
And the guy says he had GI Joe's, um, a mix of like older and newer stuff, which newer to him was like, um, the 25th anniversary. So 2009 ish era of GI Joe. Gotcha. And so I, so I said, all right, well, I can come check out what you have. If you want to send me your address time to meet, blah, blah, blah. So he sends me an address and this is town. Um, I'm fairly certain it was Clayton, Clayton, North Carolina. And at that point where I like, I had never really gone that far in North Carolina. So from my house, it was really only like an hour and 10, 20 minutes. It felt like a day driving there because once you like, there's so many parts of North Carolina where once you get off the highway, it might not be, it might be nothing but like tobacco and cotton fields. Wow. And that's exactly what this was. And it's just, you know, fields of it, it, I didn't know that it was tobacco at the time. I'd never seen tobacco growing and it was like in the middle of nowhere. And I finally find this turn that I have to take. And then I get to like, uh, it was like, I could go left or right and it's nothing but woods. So I, I just go left and I know I'm looking for number eight. That's the, the house number that I'm looking for is number eight. So I turn left and I pass one spot and it was just like down in this, this like this valley and like i looked down there and it looked bad like it looked like a bad situation i saw like a, a trailer from like a you know like a semi trailer and i'm like ooh that's this is weird so i just i i passed that and then there's like like a little ranch um double wide in front of me so i just pull up and i park and i go in and knock on the door and i said um i'm looking for number 8 somebody named ed and this woman, this woman, who's probably like 120 years old, answers the door wearing like a like a house coat with an oxygen tank, but smoking a cigarette. And she goes, "Oh, that's Ed. Yeah, you passed it." And I'm like, "Oh, you got to be fucking kidding me!" <laughs> and and so it was that like spot that I had passed just a hundred yards away. So I turn around and I go back. I pull down to that little area, and um. I get out of my truck and there's like um like a high top bar table like a like a patio one sitting like just outside of this trailer and like I said it's like a semi trailer no uh tractor there just that trailer and on the side of the trailer is is cut out with a piece of plywood and that's how they like get in and out of there on the side and there's like a little staircase but I got out of my truck and on this little high top bar table, there's a radio playing something. It was mostly static, but it wasn't like plugged in with batteries and not a soul around. And I'm like, if this starts playing dueling banjos, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> so I, so, you know, I'm, I'm just like waiting there. I call the guy and he says, well, I had to, I had to run out. I, um, I had to just run uptown to, to run an errand. I'll be right. I'll be right there. So I wait like 20 minutes. He finally shows up <laughs> and is like super crusty looking guy has somebody with him. I don't, I don't want to make an assumption, but it definitely was, it wasn't like his wife or his daughter, or it was just a woman that he picked up uptown. And I am assuming that the money that I'm going to give him for the toys right. He's right. going to turn around and give to this girl. I'm like, I can't believe I'm feeding into this situation. 
<laughs> well, I mean, just from the explanation of the trailer, I was expecting mm-hmm. to see hear some hear you or have you smell some bubbling meth in the background or something. But yeah, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. it seems like a sketchy situation all around. Yeah. So uh I, I looked at the stuff, I just I just gave him money. Like I just wanted to get out of there. Like I didn't <laughs> want to leave empty handed because it's like, all right, now I went through all this. Right. I don't, even if I didn't really want this stuff, like, well, I'm just going to give him money. So I take it. I'll look at it when I get home. Chance, like chances are that it's going to be worth at least it, you know, at least what I gave him, at least being here, it's going to be worth it. Right. Thankfully it was. And when I got home and I told my wife about all this, she was like, you got to get a gun permit. Like you got to start <laughs> carrying when you go to these places because I don't want like, I don't want to never hear from you again. Like when you, you go look at a toy collection and then that's it. Like I'm on an episode of disappeared. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm looking for Mr. Le- Leatherface. Is that spelled? Am I saying that correctly? Uh, that's exact. That's, that's exactly what it was like. <laughs> well, especially if you're going to talk to the old woman out back and say, mm-hmm. like, oh, excuse me, I'm looking for the, uh, the crazed serial killer that's cooking meth. <laughs> I'll you be right see there. him out there? Yeah, exactly. Chainsaw hanging off of his belt? <laughs> you know, leathery. Good times. Yeah. All right. So thank, thank you for indulging that. I, uh, I will probably ask you about more crazy stories, but since you kind of let lift start off on that one, then might as well just stick into it. Uh, but before we, but before we retread on past trauma <laughs> and you almost dying, um, let's talk about happier memories, which is uh, talking about, you know, uh, I kind of, I started this with Jay initially about, you know, one is not simply turned to a toy geek overnight. You have to be made into a toy geek. And a lot of us, it's just from like our upbringing, um, mm-hmm. just getting toys uh, for holidays and stuff like that. So to that end, uh, wh- when did you realize that you were a toy geek? Um, was it just beyond getting toys for Christmas? Like, when did you actually realize it? Um, definitely when I never like outgrew them. You know, it was... Um... You know, like going from like whatever the might be might have been deemed the appropriate age you're supposed to stop playing with toys or even or even just wanting them, not necessarily playing with them, but just, you know, going down the toy aisle and picking picking something out. You know, I don't I don't know what the what the appropriate age would have ever been for for the average kid. But I think the, the, the assumption is usually like between 12 and 16 year old, like. I gave away my collection at 15 and I absolutely regretted it within mm-hmm. four years time. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. When, um, like I have some pretty strong memories of, um, like I'm trying to remember the year, but I, I want to say it was around 1996. So I was 15 years old and like still going to buy beast wars, um, transformers, beast wars. And like from that point, backwards i don't have any memory of ever stopping (laughs) (laughs) so like you know it went from like masters of the universe was like the big childhood thing like that was like my main staple and then from there to the new adventures of he-man in the late 80s ninja turtles and then you know um it was pretty much solid ninja turtles up to toy biz x-men and then anything really a lot of toy biz Right. which led to a little like dabbling in transformers 
and then that led directly into power of the force to star wars that led into uh playmate simpsons and and that was like uh 2002 um and then like i i stopped i i kind of took a break i stopped buying toys but I never stopped going and looking at them. Like if you're ever in a store, like I got to go look at the toy. Right, right. I have to go do, I have like, it's an incomplete store visit. If I don't go down the toy aisle, <laughs> just because you, you want to stay current of what's, what's out there. So like, and, and even if it's like a crappy Rite Aid that has like two toys and maybe just like one Lego minifigure. Yeah. You still like, got to go look. It's like a hot wheel, and like something, something else. But for for like that aspect, like buying toys for myself, it stopped for a couple of years because I was more so just focused on buying toys to to sell. But I think when I like I realized like, all right, I am I am definitely a toy geek. Um like going to the the midnight episode one Star Wars oh, sale. Oh my god, yeah. And like having you know, like the news crews are there and, you know, they're like, they're showing that like it was being videotaped, you know, like everybody that lined up at like 6 PM for the, the, the 12 PM reopening of the store. And like, I remember the news crew being there. I'm like, Oh shit. Are people going to like, are my friends going to see me here? <laughs> no, they, they're not, they, don't, they don't watch the news. They're not, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but like, I think that was probably the, the, the moment when I realized like I am a toy geek, like through and through I'm a toy geek. Like this is, this is happening, <laughs> but you know, I don't care. And, um, from like that point on, like that was 1998. I was, I graduated high school in 99. So like, I guess like that was sort of a, almost I would say almost adult like you know uh junior year of of high yeah. school yeah um so I don't really have like a, a a stopping point through my childhood and and into my teens but like at that point like I never realized like all right I'm a toy geek no I just I did not grow it you know <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> were there uh were there any toy lines specifically that you didn't get growing up or that you couldn't have that your parents could afford growing up that you 100 percent chase after the second you got money and you were an adult with disposable income hmm um not really i think i mean mostly because like you know with he-man being like my main focus when i was a kid that also like meant you know, when a relative asked, well, what can we get for Christmas or birthday? Like they were told He-Man, like that's, that's what I was into. I, I had one transformer when I was a kid, I had a handful of GI Joes. Um, but like, even like by the time I was, um, I think by the time I was 16, I had, um, like recollected all my He-Man stuff like in better condition and I, and I hunted wow. everything down. I had everything but the two, uh, the two giants. Like I had bought the laser figures from Europe. Like even when I was like that, that young, 
Damn. Um, I figured out uh, there used to be a magazine called Toy Shop Magazine. It was like a newsprint, um, pre-eBay, pre a lot of things. And you could find, like, it was just like a big wanted ad that was printed every two weeks. So I remember finding that magazine at Barnes and Noble and like seeing all these ads like from Canada and um, Germany. And I saw like there was this person that had submitted their like for sale stuff from Germany. They had to mail it to the States and and they would just like draw a list out. It wasn't like it was very, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was very old fashioned how this whole thing was put together. <laughs> <laughs> so um i remember writing a letter to the person and saying like if this stuff is still available i know it's probably been a month but i want to buy the all of your he-man stuff so then i i finally heard back and they said everything is still available um if we can do an international money order and you know of course like my mom was like no like absolutely not and i'm like yes i'm definitely going to try this because like he had the the laser power he-man and laser light skeletor a bunch of the meteorbs um, a bunch of the later figures that i never had so i ended up collecting everything um that way so like that was probably like my biggest point when like i started having a little money from selling toys to 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 buy more stuff but like i never had a point um of like thinking like of any line that i really wanted um like like i said i never collected transformers i still i'm not really into transformers i i dabble in gi vintage gi joe here and there but there's never been really that much that i i kind of like um like had the need for as an adult that I didn't have when I was a kid. Sure. And, and it might be because of dealing toys where like I get stuff constantly and 99% of the time when I buy a collection, I'll always keep something for myself and I add to my personal collection that way. And it didn't. So, you know, like a lot of my personal stuff, I have no money in, but it also kind of takes a lot of the magic out from hunting where, you know, like, once you start dealing in toys a lot, a lot of the, you know, the, like that special thing of finding something in the wild or like, you know, even buying something on eBay that you've been saving your money for or whatever the case is, it's, yeah. it's like, mm, well, you know, I, well, I found that in a collection, you know, it's, it, it really does take a lot of the magic out of it a big time. Yeah. I was actually going to ask that is like, did, did you still get inspired like for that rush for being a collector, but I guess that kind of answers the question, but I guess um, when was the last time that you felt that rush of like still feeling like a collector that was really chasing down that grail stuff other than obviously been the great uh, example of chasing down laser light Skeletor and He-Man, which for context of anybody that's not a toy collector, those are extremely rare uh, to find in the U S and then the other two giants is Titus and Megator, which were like basically impossible to find. Yeah. So, <laughs> Um, actually this year, um, I want, I wanted to start collecting, um, Kenner real ghostbusters because I always had like an attraction to them. Cause I'd love the ghostbusters when I was a kid and my cousin had the ghostbusters toys and we were really close. We, we played like every weekend, you know, I would bring a back bag of toys over at his house and he was pretty spoiled. He had everything from the defiant to the flag, 
uh, to the Rambo Savage Strike headquarters. It was like, you name it, he had it, but he had no He-Man toys. So like <laughs> it made it, it made it, you know, kind of equal where he brought stuff to my house that I didn't have. And then I would bring He-Man stuff there. So this year I started um, collecting Kenner's real Ghostbusters toys. And it's been like, I've, I've been loving it because I, I pretty much told myself I'm not going to um, like purposefully look for anything on eBay or look for anything specific. Like if, if I found a lot on eBay of parts, um, like I would pick that up, but I've been wanting mostly to like find everything in the wild. Like if I'm at a toy show, um, so like a buddy of mine, uh, that has a toy shop or like a collectible shop about an hour from me, he had gotten in a firehouse and it, it was, it needed a lot of work. Like it was, it looked like it had been in the mud for a very long time. It needed a lot of love, <laughs> but he, he, he had told me about it and he gave me a good deal on it. Um, along he had four the 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 four original figures and a state puff and an original slimer and of course i had gotten the all of all the first wave yeah yeah i had gotten the walmart reissues already but um so that kind of like started me with the vintage stuff and then like along the way um because i had picked like i've been buying parts like anytime i got like i buy a lot of part slots whether it's he-man transformers or whatever anytime i got ghostbusters stuff i just put it in a bin and like all right those are going to be mine you know so if i find an incomplete figure at a yard sale or whatever like i I might have the part for it and i've never done that before where like when, when i want to collect something i've never put parts away so like if i find something maybe i can complete it for myself and this is the like the very first year I've been doing that probably since I was in my early teens and recollecting He-Man again. And I love it. Like, cause, <laughs> cause I, I kind of told myself like, don't, don't go buy, don't go on eBay, Facebook, whatever. And just start looking for things like don't go in a Facebook group that might be Ghostbusters related and ask people like, do you have this or do you have this? Like, I'm really excited to hunt the things down and, or not hunt it down, but just find it. Like if I'm at a toy show, I'll buy it at a toy show. If I'm at like a yard sale or whatever, or like, you know, if Jay has an extra one from, you know, from toy geeks, if he has like an extra figure, you know, I'd, I'd get it from him, but it's, it's been like a lot of fun where I've been, I have like space in my details where I got the acrylic risers. So like every time I get a figure, I already have a spot for it. It's like, this one is marked for the, the screaming <laughs> heroes. This is the screaming hero shelf. And this is the power pack hero shelf. So like I have, I have voids and it makes me so happy when I can put a figure in there that, you know, it's been waiting and that spot is waiting. <laughs> You're just you're just steps away from becoming Bobby Moynihan in the uh, Star Wars toy commercial where he's like slowly putting the toy on the glass, <laughs> closing it very slowly, and just be like, "Awesome, <laughs> so good." Um, you touched on something uh, that's very very John specific. That anybody that knows you from Toy Geeks and know knows specifically Stump John is that you mentioned parts. So. Mm-hmm. 
I think the thing that's most interesting to me about the way that you that you specialize in toy collecting specifically is that in a lot of ways you're I mean, Jay's said this about you many times is that like you're the master of parts like you can just buy that's what the whole uh, for, so for anybody that doesn't know Stumptron is a segment in Toy Geeks where uh, Jay will show pictures of random toy accessories to John with no context and just John has to try to figure out like where it is actually come from, like what toy and everything like that. And more often than not, um, John can usually nail exactly where it comes from. Sometimes it's so fast that all of us are like, how did he know that? And there's other times where people will bring out the most obscure stuff in the world and then John will get stumped. But more often than not, John is usually victorious. But I think it's like a really uh, fascinating thing to watch is just like how you can just rattle off. But then again, if you're so entrenched in the land of toys and seeing that stuff on the regular, like you just kind of internalize all that kind of stuff. But um, so can you dig into like when you kind of realize that park collecting is something that you should actually like, like some, a lot of people either focus on the whole of the toy or just the individual figure itself and not necessarily the accessories. Like, when did you kind of um, realize that like you wanted to specialize in chasing after accessories, especially for like the completionists? Um, probably. It's, it's probably only been about 10 years that I like have been trying to specialize in a lot of parts. Um, mostly because it it really only until or up until a few years ago where parts for most toy lines became like very expensive. Whereas, you know, like 10 years ago, um, star Wars parts and transformers parts ruled the, like the price guides of, of the parts world where like, you know, you could part together in a, a G one Optimus prime, like the fists, the, the hoses, the nozzle, uh, you know, the missiles. And then by the time you bought all the parts, you could have just bought one complete. Like you could have <laughs> just bought that Optimus Prime 100% complete with all those parts. And vintage Transformers, uh, vintage Star Wars toys was the same thing, you know, where, you know, like an, like AT chin guns, like original non-repro chin guns, which are like they're made out of like this clear acrylic that typically turns yellow. Um like those chin guns are anywhere from like 60 to $80 each for, you know, for the vintage one. So a, a complete ad at might cost like 250 to $300. But if you, you know, if you're missing the light bulb cover, if you're missing the hatch or the side door and the chin guns, by the time you complete it, you might be into it for like 400 400 to $450. And I'm like, well, I should have just bought one complete. So since then, like over the past few years, like toys have just exploded. So like parts for everything is, is up. And I've been doing this for, you know, so long where like anytime I bought collections, I never threw like the stuff away that I didn't know what it went to or the stuff that I might maybe thought it was junk or I, I just didn't know what it was. I would usually throw it in a bucket because chances are over the next couple months, as I'm like cruising through eBay, I might see a, a listing that has a photo of something that says complete and it might have that part that I recognize now so that I can take that part, put it up on eBay by itself, 
you know, and maybe I had, honestly, maybe I had 10 cents into that part and now I can get like $20 for it. So that's kind of like how that all started, you know, just identifying things. And it's become like this thing where, you know, back before everybody had cell phones, you could remember, you could remember phone numbers, like just rattle it off the top of your head, like without really even thinking about it. Right. And it's kind of come like that with, with toy parts, but it, it has like a stopping point where like post, you know, like post 2000, I'm terrible. I am so terrible (laughs) unless it's like He-Man related. Um, I know a lot of GI Joe stuff. I know a lot of transformer stuff now, but like when somebody submits a picture for stump John of like something from, you know, if, if, if it was like Ben 10 or, you know, like last week, you You'd know, have to phone a friend with pixel Dan yeah. to see if he can help you out. Yeah. Like maybe if you have kids, <laughs> you might know what it is, but right. there's been so much stuff that people have been throwing curveballs left and right. And then they know my Achilles heel, which is Dungeons and Dragons. Um, <laughs> that is like, even though that's eighties, <laughs> I am so terrible at it. I, I can identify like four pieces from Dungeons and Dragons, but th- that's another line. Like ever since the NECA figures, the, the lost wave came out. Like I'm going to start collecting some Dungeons and Dragons figures, which I bought some um, two weeks ago that I haven't shown yet in my halls on the show. Um, I think I bought four or five figures with accessories. Um, so I'm happy. I'm, I'm excited to, to learn something new, but yeah, like I found dealing in parts. Like if, if you do like a lot of parts, you can, you can actually do really well. Um, real like it's crazy how well you can do if you, if you decide to just start selling parts, there's some other eBay sellers that, that specialize in parts as well. And I, like, I don't feel like I'm competing against them. Like they, they help because like there's, if there's maybe like five eBay sellers that specialize in parts, like that's how we are gauging all the prices. You know, like, well, I saw him, he sold his via auction. It wasn't buy it now. He sold it for an auction for $20. So now I know that's like, that's essentially now that's the going rate. Right. So it's, it's nice to have like other part sellers out there. Um, and usually it's, it's, you know, the prices are sort of like across the board. Like this is, this is sort of what it is. Um, and I'm always the, the the way that I search eBay, I'm not going to say, but <laughs> there is, you know, like I bought two parts lots earlier this afternoon for very, very little money. Um, yeah, and, I was going to say, you know, the, they're, oh. they're probably worth a couple hundred dollars that I, I have like $10 into. Yeah. I was going to say that the biggest thing that's kind of impressive is just like the margins of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's really smart. Um, but yeah, because you had just bought, you had bought like a random lot recently. You're talking about on Toy Geeks where you bought a random lot. And then there was one thing, it was like wind, wind jammers, like fork, tuning fork or something like that that you found in there. Oh, something, something wind, of that. No, but that day, wind jammers tuning fork, which I should have gotten, that was on Stump John that day. So that that's a good memory. <laughs> But um, no, I bought this bag of parts at the toy show that weekend and it had two accessories from the LJN Tiger Sharks series, uh, which that's what it was. 
those are like those are just as rare as you know like those are like finding laser light he-man and laser or laser power he-man and laser light skeletor they are stupid rare and i've never even in you know my almost 30 years of, of buying and selling toys i've sold one tiger sharks figure because they crazy. are they are unbelievably rare but the pandemic brought out a lot of weird collecting habits from people obviously with pokemon cards um you kind of alluded to it already but i guess really specifically over like the past four years like in what ways has the toy collecting community been affected by the pandemic and people just having more focus on collecting toys from their childhood it it exploded in it was like the big if it was if it was measurable it was like the the a bomb for collecting you know it was sort of a a, a perfect storm of timing because shortly before the pandemic the toys that made us was released and when the the not so much a star wars episode but the the gi joe episode i don't know what that did but i i feel like people watched it that weren't collectors but had gi joes when they were kids and it like set a fire under their ass to go buy and like hunt down vintage gi joes because from that point forward it like you could not you could not touch gi joes for like any sort of reasonable price anymore and then you know it it happened it was the same the same situation with with he-man and i mean transformers star wars is, is is that's a whole different animal i don't know how that market goes up and down so much um but when the toys that made us hit that that just changed the scenery like like crazy and then it, it it didn't slow down and then the pandemic hit and it got worse because <laughs> now like the guys that are i won't just say guys but anybody that was now sitting at home working from home they have a lot of extra time you know they're because now like that they are home you know their eight hour day they can get done in six hours and they have two hours to go do whatever they want and a lot of them got on ebay and <laughs> a, not only that but a lot of them were like now they're they're you know cleaning out their attic like they're they're at home so they're just doing stuff they're they're finding their old toys in the attic and this is like i heard that more than anything is well i you know, I've been home so much and I took all my old stuff out of the attic to decide what I want to do with it. I heard that from probably a dozen people that I either went and bought their stuff or they bought stuff from me because now like they're reinvigorated to, to go and collect it. So that, that made it even worse when the, the quantity of stuff that was out there was, was lessened between you know when the toys that made us hit i think in 2018 i think i can go look it up um from from that point to 2020 you know the, the quantity of toys that were available was 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 dwindling so now it was really hard to find stuff like at at yard sales or garage sales sales or estate sales now all those people have started putting their stuff on ebay they're not going to sell it in you know 
for a nickel or a dime anymore. They're going to sell it online, do it themselves. All these people during the pandemic are buying stuff on eBay and collecting their old childhood back again. So it, it created this, this like huge bubble of new collectors. So the people who were existing collectors over all this time that were looking for those things, you know, still hunting are now paying, you know, two and three times as much. Right. But, you know, and they're like, well, why, you know, why does, you know, why does the vintage Eternia, which was, you know, it it was like between 800 and a thousand dollars, you know, like six or seven years ago. And now it's like $3,000, which, well, it's supply and demand. It's just like absolutely anything else we buy when the supply is down, the demand goes up, but so does the price. Yeah. And the, like I said, it was a perfect storm between the toys that made us and, you know, as you know, it's only a little documentary on Netflix, but that changed the landscape big time. And then it was just from that rolling the pandemic and the, the prices just absolutely skyrocketed. And it's funny because, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs, didn't have, you know, expendable cash, but the people that did have it were sure were spending it. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're chasing after your comfort food and the, and the fact that you can't go anywhere mm-hmm. for a vacation. So you have a whole bunch of expendable income, but yeah. yeah, I, I had, I had my most profitable year in 2021 ever in all my years of doing this. And that that's crazy to me. Absolutely crazy to me. Yeah. Um, so the toys that made us, uh, first premiered in December 22nd, 2017, just right before 2018. Okay. Um, yeah, the first four episodes was GI Joe star Wars, uh, and Barbie, I think and one of the one, but yeah. And what's funny about that series is it was made by Brian Volk Weiss, who, mm-hmm. um, started out making comedy, uh, shows, uh, which I didn't realize until I started Googling him. And then I, randomly rewatched uh dane cook's tourgasm and brian volk weiss is like there mm-hmm. just like i was like that's really random and my mm-hmm. cat is scratching that's something he shouldn't scratch i'm not gonna yell at him right now because i'm interviewing you anyway i just the- i just noticed that you have the, the the crimson ghost halloween buckets behind you i do yeah i gotta Maybe. get those oh from to get those from uh from super seven yeah yeah you're the first person to actually notice that really? i've had mis- i've had misfits fans on my show and they don't notice although people usually notice it's kind of hard to see with a stupid glare but they usually notice my um my batman and then the uh jason edmiston um joker and riddler over here but it's kind of hard to tell with the mm-hmm. stupid sun that's in, in front of everything but <laughs> first thing i saw was that the 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 fiend nice <laughs> we are 138 mm-hmm. um so uh going back to you being a professional toy seller uh what inspired you to officially kind of start your business because i know that you said you were part-time for a while but like did you ever uh like what actually like made you realize like i want to do this full-time as a job and then also um just out of curiosity was there ever a motivation to like open a brick and mortar location um or are you happy always happy being the the person on the hunt on the freelance game um well, it started full time when um, me and my wife moved to North Carolina because we 
so we got we got married in uh, 2011 and we moved uh, less than a week later we had both been laid off um i was a driver for ups and uh i had i had driven ups trucks in two two fashions for ups and for a subcontractor of ups for 6 years so i got laid off my wife got laid off and we had visited north carolina um my brother-in-law had lived here and we just we just liked it so much we gave ourselves a 5 year plan to to be here from living in massachusetts and we did it in 3 years so when we decided to move we knew like the cost of living from massachusetts north carolina was a you know it was a fraction compared to massachusetts right so we she pretty much said you know if you want to try and make a go of it you know full time you know now is a good time to try it because you know we we don't need as much income so it was like a it was a, like an easy sort of a testing ground sort of like a an experiment like how how can i do this how can i make it work you know um can i make it work and so i mean it just it was easy you know it was just essentially same thing i do is hunt collections i have an ebay store upload my uh, upload whatever i buy and as far as a brick and mortar store that's like one of those things where probably once or twice a month i say oh shit it would be so much easier to just have a store instead of like <laughs> taking pictures of everything and shipping everything but then on the other hand so i have i have a couple friends that have stores one of them has uh, very trustworthy employees, like the best employees, you know, like he can send them to a show or, or he can go to a show and he doesn't have to worry about leaving the store behind because, you know, it's fully staffed, you know, it, they can run it just as good as him. You know, the employees can run it just as good as the, the owner, my other friend, not so much where <laughs> it's, you know, like he feels he has to be there all the time because the employee is going to screw it up. They're going to sell something for the wrong price or, or they're just going to rip them off. Like, you know, they're going to steal from it. So like, that's my biggest fear is like, if I open a store, you know, I, it's not like I can close the doors to go pick up a collection. It's like, well, no, it's a store. I have to be open from the time it says that I'm open and closed on the door on the front, you know, like I can't. And it, it's hard to find somebody that you can trust to, you know, be there. And if somebody brings in a collection, you know, and, and I'm, and say I wasn't there and they said, well, you know, somebody off the street comes in with like a, a big collection of GI Joe and says, you know, what, what you give me for this? And the employee's like, Whoa, I don't know. <laughs> $2. Yeah. Can you, can you come back when, uh, when the owner's here? And they're like, no, I need the money. Like yesterday, you know, I'll go to the other place. So right. I think that's probably the hardest part of of um, like a brick and mortar mom and pop shop kind of store. I would I would love it, but I you know what I'm what I've been doing for for this long is is working you know pretty seamlessly. My my biggest problem is is definitely storage. You know, um, <laughs> like the room that I'm in right now, like here it's okay but there is literally fucking shit everywhere, you know, like <laughs> on the other side of the screen. I mean, 
the 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 room I'm in is pretty big, and it's still not big enough. And this isn't even it. Like I have, I do have other storage, and it's everything is so full. Where you know, if I had a store, it's like no, everything could just go out. You know, everything gets put out. But right, you know, this is what it is, and you know the way that it, the way it's you know essentially now like if somebody sends me an email in the morning like hey i have you know have a big collection can you come right now absolutely you know i could be there in an hour but you have a store it's like no i gotta go up in my store can i meet you on sunday like well no i'm gonna sell it by then okay well you lose <laughs> yeah well, that makes sense are there any other parts of your day um that are like really specific. Like it's like, cause I know that you get up super early mm -hmm. to look at eBay, but like without giving any trade secrets, can you talk about other things that kind of go into like what it takes to actually do this full time? Oh yeah. If you want to do it full time, like you really need to be as like even more strict on your time than maybe if you did like go punch in on somebody's clock. Like if you worked a regular job, like, yeah, I, I get up at three 30 AM Monday through Friday. I, I check eBay. Like I go to the gym that's first. And I am like scrolling eBay, like as I'm on a machine or I'm doing something <laughs> because like the benefit of that is, you know, three 30 East coast, it's still only 1230 West coast. So if somebody is like that works, second or third shift on the West coast. And that's their free time. Like if they're going to list something, well, I can kind of snipe it, you know, if it's, if it's something worth buying. And then, you know, after that, it's like from that point, you know, like 6am to whatever time, like that's when I ship all my packages because like, uh, like to, to keep my, my power seller, and um what do they call it it's uh power seller and then this one of the status like if you want to keep that on ebay you have to have your packages out within 24 business hours so if somebody buys something monday it, it can't be out any later than tuesday morning so that's that's like the my most regimented part of the day is to get the packages out and when i'm done that like i start listing you know, taking pictures, doing research on stuff that I need to get listed on eBay. And then from, you know, from there till usually around 6 PM, that's, that's usually when I end. And then, you know, watch TV for an hour, have dinner, bedtime. Cause three 30 comes early. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. I just, uh, the amount of discipline that you've explained in terms of like the stuff you do, like, uh, I remember like you were in the middle of like sorting a collection of like literally piecing together everything and like individually bagging stuff. And like mm -hmm. the minutia of that kind of work, it's like uh, just you talking about it and sharing up about it on the show. It just, it's like, wow, it really is a job. And like, you know, I, I work in video games. I'm a video game designer. And mm -hmm. likewise, like people kind of like hand fisting, like, Oh, you get to play games all day. That's not real work, whatever. But it's like, do you realize how much effort is put into this kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. And so hearing you put in that much effort to like actually sell toys just kind of blew me away. Um, and again, it's just like a testament to you in terms of like how you, um, view yourself both, to, you know, view your reputation, both as a seller and as a person of like, I want to make sure that you're happy with the end product and that, you know, if you buy from me that you're buying a quality product. So, mm -hmm. yep. 
Yeah, when I when I ship something out, I, I want to I want it hopefully to get there as how I want to get it, like how I would want to receive something. Yeah. And it's it's the same way, like the, my my Monday through Friday is also pretty much Saturday as well, you know, because even though like I'm not required to have my shipments out Saturday because it's not a business day, I always get everything done that's sold on Friday out on Saturday because otherwise I'm doubled up on Monday morning and that sucks. Yeah, there's nothing worse than going to the post office on a Monday with a ton of packages because then you just hate your life unless you live in Seattle. <laughs> unless you live in Seattle like I do and you go to sketchy UPS, USPS. Yeah. I go to the post office like once a month. I get I have a daily pickup. <laughs> That's good. Um, so uh, obviously we started the episode off about your uh, uh, crazy story where you almost got murdered, but um are there any other ridiculous deals or crazy weird interactions that you've had? Um, have you ever found like a huge rail piece um, during one of those road trip moments? Like, is there any other crazy stories that you, that you feel comfortable sharing? Hmm. Um, that's probably my, my craziest one. Like I've had some where, you know, I, I kind of looked at the people, you know, like I looked at the, the, the seller or the owner of the the toys and I just don't know what to say to them sometimes. Um, like <laughs> there was a, I, I bought, I bought a collection of GI Joe and He-Man figures um, from somebody also in North Carolina um, shortly after I moved here. And he met me at um, an abandoned hot dog stand. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I shit you not. Meet me by the empty wiener. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he he showed up and he had two really big um like cardboard grain barrels like like what um okay so you do you remember in uh, our soap barrels remember in shawshank redemption yeah when, uh he flips the lid off the soap and he throws it in the the guy's face it like one of those barrels like a big thick cardboard barrel yeah. and, he, and he showed up with uh, one filled with He-Man toys, one filled with GI Joe figures, and you know I'm, I'm looking through all the 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 GI Joe, and I look through all the He-Man, and I said, "Well, um, I'm interested in GI Joes, uh, but I'll probably pass on the He-Man." And at this time, you know, He-Man figures were like a couple dollars each resale. Like, you know, if you if you spent fifty cents on a He-Man figure, you're doing pretty good. And, uh, I said, um, you know, I'm interested in the GI Joe's, but I'm not, I'm not interested in the He-Man. And, and I, and he said, well, how, how much would you give me for the GI Joe's? And I said, um, how about $50? And he said, would you give me $50 for the GI Joe and the He-Man? And I'm like, (laughs) what? Like, (laughs) and he was serious. Like he was dead serious. I'm like, I don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't get one free. Sure. We can do this. Yeah. But like any, like I've, I've had some really good deals. I mean, going somewhere and always ask the person like, do you, have, you know, how much, you, how much do you want? And, you know, really one time out of 10, they'll have, they'll already have a price. You know, it's not often people have a price in mind already. Um, but 
I mean, just a year ago, year and a half ago, I went to a, a, a house not too far from where I live, maybe an hour. And uh, this, the person that messaged me or called me was from Alaska. And he said his mom had taken all of us. They had originally lived in New Jersey. His mom now lives in uh, North Carolina and he lives in Alaska and he's, he's home for two days or he's in North Carolina for two days and his, and his mom wants to get rid of the stuff. So I, I get there and it's a ton of GI Joe's vintage star Wars and it's uh, worth a lot of money. You know, there's like Sears exclusive GI Joe's uh, so much. And there's almost two of everything because she bought, she just bought him two of everything. There wasn't like a sibling, you know, brother sharing. It was just, he got two of everything. Okay. So we were, you know, going, uh, going through everything, figuring out what it's worth or figuring out, you know, what's there unbroken, complete, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, there's a ton of it. It's all over his garage floor. And, uh, he's, I said, you know, do you, you know, I would say, how much do you, how much do you want? And, um, he's like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I said, um, you know, and I just throw a number out there. I'll, I'll usually just like to, to try and get like a, a facial reaction from somebody. Yeah. And I said, you know, how about a thousand dollars cash? And I was expecting them to be like, uh, we were thinking five, you know? So I said, how about a thousand dollars cash? <laughs> and and his mom she was like oh, praise the lord absolutely <laughs> you know like she was she was tickled at a thousand dollars so then uh she she was you know over the moon and the the son went in to get something and the the son's wife was there and i said how much did you ex- like how much were you expecting me to offer and and the guy's wife, she goes, well, he was expecting you to like make uh, make an offer so low that he was going to charge you for the tubs, like the tubs that it was put in. Oh wow! And I'm like, oh my god, you know, like, I mean, granted, the collection was worth like around seven thousand dollars. Yeah, but oh, margins, man. and also you you drove out to them. You have to take the time to f- like resell and, and list everything. Right. So yeah, you have to have good margins if you're going to do a bulk sale like that. Oh yeah, but I was like, that was that was pretty funny. Like thinking like, all right, if, if I said a hundred dollars and then you're going to say, all right, well, we, we need like $5 a peach for the, a piece for the, you know, the Tupperware totes that <laughs> everything's been stored in. <laughs> it's like going to McDonald's, ordering something and making them charge you for the bags. Right. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. I've had, I've had so like, been to so many deals and in in houses and just buying things. I've gone to I've I've driven like four or five hours and come home empty-handed because you know they think it's worth way more than it is. You know, I I I drove six hours one time and the guy was buying stuff for his son and then his son didn't want anymore and the guy wanted to get it like sell it. And it was like piles of transformers and uh, it was mostly like modern toys from like 
2010 to 2015. And he had stuff that was brand new. And I, I made this big pile of stuff. And I'm like, you know, this is what I'm interested in. Asked him how much he wanted. And he said, and I like, like shit my pants because <laughs> he want like I said this, you know, it was a, you know, for instance, it was like, there was a beast wars or a transformers Rhinox figure, but not beast wars. It was like one of the newer ones. And I said, I can get this on entertainment earth right now on clearance. Like, and you want, you know, like $40, this is like a $5 figure. And he's like, right. well, we've been buying everything on entertainment earth. And I'm like, what That's am I not, doing here? And I said, I, I said, I told you how long I was driving to get here. And he's like, well, it's not my problem if you don't want like my prices. And I'm like, nobody will like your prices, dude. This is, like, <laughs> I can literally go to Target and get half this shit. Com- Commerce 101, sir. Mm-hmm. If you if you don't want to sell it, don't offer it. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta have some you have to have some give there. There becomes a certain point where you are legitimately trying to get rid of it and you need to agree to a price eventually. Yeah. So hmm good times um so in addition to being a professional haggler <laughs> um you're also one half of toy geeks uh which is under the umbrella of the geek day geek dad life um mm-hmm. brand um so you started the toy geeks podcast with jay back in 2020 and then since then it's become a video podcast but really a, a live toy talk show on sunday nights um so more or less that it's been what you've been devoting your Sunday night to for Mm -hmm. basically this whole year and pretty much all of last year as well. Um, How has your life changed in terms of just being around that schedule and also going deeper in the toy community and like really making major connections there? Like, do you think your toy addiction is better or worse now because of it? I wouldn't say worse. I'm just going to say more involved. (laughs) I mean, as far as my schedule, my schedule's changed majorly on Mondays because the, you know, when, if the show ends at 12, 1230, you know, midnight, 1230, Mondays are really hard day. Monday is a very hard day to find any sort of motivation being on a couple hours of sleep. Um, but I mean, I, I love doing the show. Like I look forward to, uh, toy geeks, like, you know, when, when the show ends, like I'm looking forward to the next one, like as soon as, as you know, our after dark show ends, like I'm looking forward to next Sunday. And it's like that all week. Like I'm, I'm so excited to, to talk toys, uh, talk to Jay and talk to essentially like this huge community that's, that's been created. You know, there's always been a toy community, but then the geek dad life and toy geeks community is it's like a family now where so many people know each other with, without ever meeting each other. And like, I, I love that, but it's also been um, really nice. Like now that I've met people like outside of the screen, you know, like there's, there's regulars <laughs> that come to the show, like uh, like one of the North Carolina toy shows, you know, that, that me and Jay will set up at, you know, like people have come up to me and be like, Hey, like you're John, you know, and we were, we, me and Jay went to a toy show, like just as you know, customers, um, up in Winston Salem, it's close, closer to like Virginia than where I am right now. 
and you know people were like recognizing us like do you want to we get your picture you know i'm like okay <laughs> like it's it's kind of weird but you know it, i i still enjoy it and also like meeting people other like other toy tubers or other streamers and then meeting people in like the industry like everyone from you know like nate barch who's been doing uh, a bunch of art for for he-man and uh full horseman mythic legions um from him to like toy artists and indie toy makers um ted biaselli was on the show like that guy was awesome and now we've like our friends like we he'll like send me a message like hey what's up you know like that's to me that is like it's it's mind-blowing like just you know like i've never done like anything like that before where you know working with jay his other podcasts like the lost podcast like he's you know he's sort of like hung out with famous people for for a few years you know he has he has a lot of experience under his belt and like knowing how to navigate a lot of that and making connections and for me like sort of on jay's coattails doing it you know like i am i am so inexperienced like i don't <laughs> i don't know anything about doing uh streaming like he essentially sends me the link and just like this like exactly like this <laughs> so so exactly like this that i absolutely asked jay hey i like your setup can you tell me what mm -hmm. it is and then i absolutely stole it <laughs> but my difference is that i don't do my show live but yeah jay definitely like gave me the dry run of like hey here's what i do mm -hmm. so yeah yeah he's a he's such a pro he is such a pro at all of it it's it's awesome um so in addition you kind of alluded to this a little bit of just going to toy conventions um but you started nc ToyCon um with jay currently it's on a hiatus but um can you talk about like why it's important that a toy convention be a toy convention and not just be something that's lumped into something else like a general comic-con or like a sci-fi anime event like why is that so important and of course this is a rhetorical question for me <laughs> um i think most important because there's so few around um growing up in the northeast like that's how i cut my teeth like that that's essentially what got me into toys as a as a living where I think I, I think I was 13 when I went to my first toy show and it was, it was a strictly toy show. It was at a, um, it was at an Elks hall or, or no Knights of Columbus hall. So sort of like a small VFW banquet hall thing, maybe fit 50 tables, 40 tables at the most. And I went there with my cousin, we got dropped off and I remember buying a couple card. I bought a carded thunder punch he man and a carded dragon blaster skeletor mint unpunched cards holy 40 dollars for the pair i never forget that but like walking around you know like i saw guys there that were like importing toys from japan like a lot of robots and things like that and then there was guys there that just were selling you know like a table of their old toys and and when i say guys like all these people that i was walking around were you know, probably, you know, thirties, forties or, you know, up, up from there, because there's a lot of guys that would sell like tin toys from the forties who were like in their sixties and seventies. So it was, it was a pretty eclectic mix for a toy show, but like, I saw all this and I'm like, man, this, there's a lot of money in this. Like 
that guy has a table full of stuff over there that I saw half of that stuff at a yard sale last week for a nickel and I can come and flip it for $500. <laughs> so that, that show, that show was quarterly. So I, I called the, the promoter and asked if I could get a table. And at that point, the tables were only $20 for an eight foot table. So he, you know, he took my name down and said, yeah, I'll get your table at the next show. So then at the very next show I had accumulated stuff and, uh, I'll never forget, you know, um, my mom dropped me off. I got my table set up and it was a Saturday and the show went from 10 to two and I made $817 and being, you know, 13 years old, making over $800 in just a few hours. Like this is, this is it. This is the deal right here. <laughs> this is, this is my jam. You know, I felt like I was Oprah rich at that point. <laughs> I'm going to get the large deluxe meal. <laughs> extra fries. You want that super sized? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. I like the Batman hero meal. Thank you. What was it like the hero sandwich or where the hell it was? Yeah. Yeah. From Batman forever. Yeah. And then you got that, gl that glass mug. Which, of course, would break the second you ever put it anywhere near a sink or near your dishwasher. Yeah, of course. That's so, hilarious. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, regular, just straight up toy shows, they're, they were, they were normal for me from where I came from. Like, they were prevalent. Coming down here, and there's so many other parts of the country where it is just like a mix where it's most, I would say it's mostly Comic-Cons. Like, it's a comic book comic con or comic book show with a smattering of toy dealers. But nine times out of 10, a lot of those toy dealers, it's like stuff that they order from like diamond or previews or, you know, entertainment earth where it's like all that stuff is just new. Like it's not necessarily stuff you might go find at Walmart or target because it's higher priced, but it might be like, you know, statues from sideshow or whatever. And it's like, well, that's still not what I'm looking for. Like I really want like a strictly toy show where you can go in, you walk in and find vintage toys and just be with like-minded collectors. And again, the, like create your own community. And that's, that's probably like the biggest thing with, with uh, why I like strictly toy shows is, is that community. And no, you know, meeting Jay that way and then meeting a plethora of other people that, you know, it's, I didn't meet until my thirties and, you know, it's like, now we're all friends. We're all buddies, like, you know, grown men <laughs> hawking toys <laughs> as one does grown boys. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, um, the reason why it's a rhetorical question for me is because like, uh, so growing up in the San Francisco Bay area, like finding a specific like store that was mostly toys, like most comic shops were mainly comics and they hardly ever had any toys like whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, and I was always chase after those. And like, I think there's only like really one toy show in the Bay area. It's, it happens in San Jose like once a year. And of course that's exactly where like I found like the, the matchbox peewees playhouse, like full set. The guy mm -hmm. just wanted a hundred bucks for it. And that's when I got my grail piece. So it's always at the toy specific shows that, that stuff kind of works out. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, uh, 
I don't say I don't want to say North Carolina sucks for toy shows, <laughs> but it, it it still does. You know, like I I talked to some friends that are still up in the, in the Northeast, and you know they'll they'll have a picture of a hall from a toy show, and it's nothing but like I don't like vintage grails. Like they might have nothing but vintage grails, and it's like oh well, I found a broken part of one, you know, or <laughs> or like. You know, like where I'm from, like in the town that I live right now, like back in the 80s, there was no stores around. So there's no vintage toys around because, you know, nobody, there wasn't a place to go and buy the stuff. There was no place right. to go. There was no Kmart or I don't know what a, what would have been around here, you know, more like mom and pop general stores. But, right. you know, it would have been like little trinkets and, you know, countertop toys and things like that. So finding vintage toys in in certain parts of the country is just nearly impossible because there wasn't a place to go buy the toys back when they were originally, you know, available. That's actually a really interesting point. Uh, so I live in Seattle now, and the wildest thing about living in Seattle is that in addition to Microsoft, uh, Nintendo of America is, is based out of Redmond over here mm-hmm. in the Seattle area. And Seattle has some of the best retro gaming hunting ever. Um, I'm going to interview one half of Pink Gorilla. Um, they're a retro um, uh, video game shop up here in Seattle. And like finding Famicom games is so easy because of them. Like I've never, I've never seen a Famicom game in person mm-hmm. until I moved to Seattle. And oh, wow. it is wild. Like how easy it is to get retro games up here because of stores like Pink Gorilla and other, other things in the area. But yeah. Any of that kind of stuff or just stores and peoples and communities that exist that are trying to like passively like have a history for this stuff, but also mm-hmm. just like you know, I encourage collectors to be like, hey, you want this? I found it. Um, yeah. I, I love that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. that's how, that's how it was growing up um, close to close to Hasbro. You know, I was roughly an hour from um, Warwick, Rhode Island. So w- when I did start dealing toys, I I would find cases of GI Joe toys, like sealed factory cases of so many things. You know, like I remember getting a, a box of um, Tan Tan Grunt was a mail away figure, uh, not a mail away. He was he came with the the Falcon glider, the the foam. You know, you just strap a figure to it and you right. glide it like a paper airplane, and that Tan Grunt figure. Uh, was bagged separately and there used to be cases of those figures floating around the, you know, new England. Like I bought a case (laughs) of 200 of those in sealed bags for like $40. And if I wanted another, if I sold through that, just go get another one because I knew the guy that had all of it. And there was, there was a lady that worked for Hasbro that sold me cases of, um, she had like uh, cases of Cobra bugs and the Phantom X-19 stealth fighter because she used to get the stuff for Christmas presents. And, you know, she was getting them for pennies on the dollar because she was an employee and, you know, she, she just stashed the stuff away in her closet. And then, you know, 15 years later, she was like, Oh, well, I got to find somebody to take this now because <laughs> to me, it's meaningless. You know, all the kids are grown. Who am I going to give it to? And yeah, being, being close to places like that, it's, 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 it's unbelievable how much stuff is, is still like sitting in warehouses or, 
somebody's garage or somebody's closet. It's like, well, if you go up there and start looking around, it starts to get easy to find. Yeah. That's a wild thing about uh, employee perks like that. Like, I don't know if they still do it, but when I worked for Sony, like they gave you one copy of every single game that comes out on their platform, like to every employee. I don't know if they do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, I won't talk about how I fed myself through GameStop doing that, but, um, (laughs) I never said that legally anyway, uh, but that was a pretty awesome perk. So yeah, I can imagine kind of goes with the territory, but yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Uh, so to get, get me away from legal trouble, I will say, uh, there's one last question I want to ask you, which is, um, so the year's almost over a lot of great announcements in terms of just like really cool toys that are coming out. And I'm sure that anybody that hasn't uh, clicked off already that's still around is still hopefully cares about toys. So digging into that further, um, do you have any big toy predictions for next year? Given the fact that we already had a lot of huge stuff. I know this is kind of biting off what you and Jay do towards the end of the year, but I, I am asking you first, uh, is there anything you're expecting to happen next year in terms of like new IPs coming out that, that realistically might actually happen next year and, or any specific things that like, haven't happened yet or haven't been announced yet that you think feasibly might happen next year. Yeah, I think, um, I think we'll finally see something from, um, if anybody is looking or interested in a, a brave star reboot, I, I feel like that's, that's one of those series that will be coming from, you know, super seven in the ultimates in the ultimates collection. I think, you know, that's, they're, they're running out of, properties to reboot and like you know that's kind of the thing because there's not a lot of ideas being thrown around so we'll just take the old ones that worked back then that people are clamoring for <laughs> so yeah i think um brave star is ready for a reboot and uh as far as other predictions for like something existing an existing ip like i not now that eternia playset's been at least announced for crowdfunding they got to get to snake mountain and I'm really hoping that we'll get a new fright zone because the, you know, the, the, the original play set, the original fright zone, you know, it, the, the tree is always broken. The puppet is worthless because the, they're just dried up, you know, balloons at this point. <laughs> Yeah, it would be really awesome if they could do like a combination um, of like the slime pit into the fright zone. It's just like one solid playset instead of parting it out. Mm-hmm. Even though that the slime pit was like a really awesome toy to begin with, but um, yeah, yeah, I never owned Fright Zone as a kid, so I definitely wanted that as well. And we haven't gotten Snake Mountain yet, so at least not in Origins. So hopefully yeah. that happens eventually. Yeah, I. I didn't have the fright zone when I was a kid. I, well, I, I got one when I was, I think 13 or, you know, so still a kid, I guess, but sure. you know, I, but I wasn't, you're... I wasn't six years old playing with the fright zone. Right. <laughs> you might've had Grizzlor, but no fright zone. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> awesome. All right, John. Um, now that we've bored everybody to tears about toys, uh, which is exactly what I was hoping to do with this episode, because this is a purely indulgent episode, because obviously I'm a toy nerd, just like you are. So this is 100% for me. But uh, it was an absolute pleasure to, to interview you. Is there anything that you'd like to plug before we take off social media sites, cool things up in your life? Uh, yeah, definitely um, check out 
the the Toy Geeks show every Sunday night at nine Eastern on the Geek Dad Life channel on YouTube. And if you want to check out my eBay store, the easiest way is just go to smallplastichero's.com and that'll URL forward to my eBay store. Or I mean my my new Instagram is also small plastic heroes that I'm I'm still working on. Um and then my my other Instagram was is isn't so toy focused. It's just you know, life, I guess, is uh, halos.horns. If you want to find me on there. Cool. Awesome. John, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Everybody else, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. <laughs>